The Makers of Minnesota Dinner Series at the Lexington have been a blast. Imagine being in the beautiful setting of the Lexington in St. Paul, in the gorgeous Williamsburg room with the stained glass windows, the leather banquettes accompanied by 75 other people just like you. They're all there to experience a great dinner made by Chef Antonio with wine pairings featuring products made right here in Minnesota. Our November dinner is Tuesday, November 30th, and tickets are $98. We have four featured makers at this dinner, including cheese from Redhead Creamery, the delicious Nuts of the North from Isidore Nut Company, beautiful spirits from Vicre Distillery in Duluth, and mushrooms from R&R Cultivation, who are farming 11 different types of mushrooms right here in Minnesota. We'll have Makers of Minnesota holiday boxes filled with my favorite products for sale, including Isidore's chai nutmegs, which I'm just crazy about. I'm so excited to see how Chef Antonio will use all of these ingredients in his multi-course menu. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special dinner, and we have sold out the last two dinners. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the third Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington. Go to thelexingtonmn.com and get your tickets now and join me and some fabulous makers who will tell you about their products and share their maker stories while treating you to Chef Antonio's gorgeous creations using their products. Buy tickets now at thelexmn.com. The Makers of Minnesota Holiday Gift Box is something I've been thinking about for a long time. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and the whole reason I do the podcast is to introduce people to the cool maker scene happening in the Twin Cities. I love being the one to tell you to buy the soda crackler candles because they smell amazing, or to try the nuts of the north from Isidore Nuts because not only will they be the best chai nuts you've ever had, but 50% of her workforce are people with disabilities. Tasha's company is helping people reach their goals by teaching them life skills, and that's not something you might know just looking at the package. Bear Honey is all about the bees, of course, but I specifically chose their vanilla and hot honeys as they are wonderful for baking or on a cheese board. And Lost Capital Hot Sauce is a fermented sauce. These guys are so entertaining to listen talk about hot sauce, and they mentor other sauce creators in town to share the love. K-Mama's sauce, Korean ketchup, has long been a favorite of mine, as has Heather's Dirty Goodness seasoning that adorns my Thanksgiving turkey every year. Even something as simple as fresh peanut butter turns into magic when you add apples and cinnamon, and it's 100% fresh, no preservatives. Cheryl has made this batch just for me and for you, and Gastola Granola has been a personal favorite of mine for a long time, as well as BT McElroy's Salty Dog Bites and their Annie B. Caramels. Even sponges are superior when made in Minnesota, right? And if you haven't tried biltong yet, you know, the jerky that is marinated with six timeless ingredients that are then air-dried and thinly sliced to perfection with no added sugars. The result is a truly authentic Minnesota-made snack by way of Southern Africa, and the first 150 boxes sold will find a bonus bag in their box. All of the products in the Makers of Minnesota box were curated by me due to their tastiness or the stories that made them uniquely Minnesotan. And each of these folks have shared their story with me on the Makers of Minnesota podcast. We're going into our fourth season, and there are lots of boxes you can buy out there to ship to friends and family. But please consider the one that's made in Minnesota and curated by me so you can share the stories through the podcast of these makers. Boxes are $65 and can be found at loveminnesotabox.com backslash gifting or by the link on my website at stephaniesdish.com or you can also find links to order on the Makers of Minnesota Facebook page. 
Delight in 12 Minnesota-made items and share your love of the great maker community in our state and help support the makers that make it great. Boxes are $65 and can be found at loveminnesotabox.com backslash gifting, or you can also find links to order on the Makers of Minnesota Facebook page. Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things, and we get people at various stages of their ideation of their businesses. And today we're talking to Jim Tower, and he is with Fermentation Station. And Jim, you have been a chef around town for some time, I'm understanding. Is that correct? That's true. Yeah, I got my start at Birch, uh, was at Four Bells, uh, I've in a few different places, gotten executive chef job in Lakeville and then uh, on to Stillwater and uh, now here. When you're in an executive chef role, traditionally, like how long does it last? Is it a three to five year gig typically? Uh, I think everyone is a little bit <laughs> different. Um, I've known some chefs to stay for years at, at places and some they, they bounce the next one pretty, pretty quickly. Just, right. Uh, it's, it's it seems like such a, I love food and I love the culture and I love the industry, but I have to say, it seems like a really hard job just to, from a lifestyle sustainability perspective. It is. Yeah. You don't really think about it at, at the time. It's just what, what life is. And because it is so demanding and you kind of can't think about it at, at the time, uh, I'm noticing now, now that I'm doing uh, yeah, uh, the pickle stuff, uh, what all uh, was happening, you know, no, no holidays, no very little family time, uh, even your off time, you're thinking about what's what's next, or you're actually working on recipes or some other paperwork or something like that. So it's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> right. So tell me about Fermentation Station, how you went from being an executive chef to, uh, I guess, your foraging, fermenting, quick pickling life to where you are today. Yes, uh, the Technically, on the last place, I wasn't the executive chef. I was chef de cuisine, but I'm okay. finer <laughs> anything. But um, somebody will call me on it. If I, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but uh, for for that restaurant, we were uh, kind of a forest to fork um, place. The the running line was we went for a walk in the woods with the chef. Uh, what would you come back and eat? Uh, and I had kept pushing to have the menu really ref- reflect that more, like seasonally. Um, I thought that the fall and winter menu should have a lot of dehydrated, pickled, fermented stuff on the menu, and they let me go with it. Uh, so I kind of went went wild and learned an awful lot. Um, and just kind of my personality, when I find something that I like, I I tend to obsess a little bit. <laughs> At least you know that about yourself. <laughs> so yeah, lots of books, lots of internet stuff, uh, meeting different people and joining groups and things like that, and, and just just doing it. We uh, came up with some pretty interesting interesting items that I think really stand out against other pickled type things that are out there right now. So the first thing you did was quick pickles and. How did you decide to move into fermentation? Um, again, kind of reflecting the menu reflection thing. I uh, wanted to go more old school um, and you know, get into the real great grandma, 
uh, fermentation stuff, and that's kind of taking off as a, a general topic too. If people want more of the probiotic um, aspects of the fermented foods, so and you see kimchi and sauerkraut uh, everywhere. But I thought there are some more interesting things that we could do. Uh, is the, with is that there technique. so fermentation just in general? Is there other ways to ferment things? And I know the answer probably is yes, other than just with salt. Uh, yeah, because it goes across. There's so many things in life that are fermented from, you know, beer to coffee, to chocolate to kombucha to, you know, it's there's a lot of different fermentation that uh, that goes on out there. But uh, my my focus with fruits and vegetables is uh, is the salts, uh, lacto fermentation. So when you lacto ferment something, because you brought me some samples of some different items and I've done some fermentation very basically, mostly with sauerkraut. And I tried to do zucchini pickles, which were a disastrous failure. <laughs> um, your fermenting was crispy and light and just fresh. And I, the only way I can describe it is like, I felt like I was standing in a garden eating, you know, the beet and it was a little sour, but it was like the beet. Right. How, I mean, you must have had to learn how to do that over time because like I said, my first batch of zucchini pickles was a mushy mess. Right. Uh, yes. Some, some of it is um, uh, trial and error. I can just taste and taste. And once you find the, cause you can get it more and more, Sorry, I could have gone, you know, the, most of the, the vegetables, like the carrots and the uh, asparagus, they go about three weeks. Uh, you could go, could go four or could go six, you know, depending on how sour you want. But I try and get that balance where you can still get the essence of the, of the vegetable, but some of that, you know, funk and tartness in there. And that's just making a decision for yourself on what uh, what you like. But um, uh, having a good controlled environment uh, for the ferment helps so if you got leaks and things like that air can get in other bad guys can get in because uh, you're trying to encourage particular organisms and discourage uh, other organisms um, so and sometimes the, the item itself uh, lends itself to falling apart more uh, i haven't tried zucchini but um <laughs> don't bother well <laughs> but some of them just are aren't uh prone to uh you know, that that method uh, might need to be a quick pick on on some of those, but I've been surprised on how many things do ferment well on, under that, and the fruits have been a lot of fun. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say both both the good and the bad are not bad exactly, but odd. Uh, the pickled smoked cherries are kind of my favorite uh, right now because I don't know if you remember, but it kind of changes as you eat it. As soon as you put it in your mouth, they get smoke. Then a few moments later, you get the cherry. And a few moments later, you get the, the pickle. The kind of changes in that I really get get a kick out of. Mm -hmm. um, and that just kind of kind of happened. Uh, but then blackberries was one that I was testing at, at the restaurant. And when I first did it, it was far and away people's favorite because it was just so different. And it's I didn't know a blackberry could taste like that. But it's kind of the same as with cucumbers. A, a pickle doesn't taste anything like a cucumber anymore. The blackberry doesn't taste anything like a like a blackberry. Right. When I was first testing it, people really dug it. But then when it in, went into kind of a blind environment, people would buy them, or I'd be at a tasting and they just eat it before I got a chance to, to talk to them. Uh, they'd be, oh, you know, kind of a, a shock because they they look at it and they think 
jam or jelly or sweet, you know, berry. Um, then they get that funky, salty <laughs> thing. Ah, so it's, it's like, you know, reaching for a glass in the night and you think it's milk and you take a drink and it's orange juice. Ah, you know, orange juice doesn't taste bad, <laughs> but you're expecting something completely different. Right. So we've had some mixed uh, reviews on on that particular one. But you know, if they know what they're what they're getting, then uh, people like it a lot. You can use fermented items in so many things, like from cocktails. I've been really impressed with some of the cocktail programs and what they're doing with ferments. Is that something that you're interested in as well? Because like I'm, I had a fermented cranberry that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in that, and I'd say eighty to ninety percent of people that taste the cherry, the first words out of their mouth are old fashioned. Yeah, uh, or Manhattan. Uh, so yeah, that one uh, really likes cocktails and. I think almost all of them would lend themselves to a cocktail. A lot of them like Bloody Marys, the punch pickles and the asparagus and even the carrots uh, would be great in there. Uh, the pickled pears uh, seem like a great garnish for a cocktail. And even the juice out of the, the, the that's left over in the pears makes a good cocktail. Pour it over. It's like a shrub, basically. Yeah. Pour it over ice, vodka, rum, whatever you like. Splash of seltzer. It's pretty nice. Can you tell me, so you get this as a hobby and you're doing this at work and you're thinking, wow, this could be a business. What kind of decision-making went from quitting your day job as it were to deciding that you're going to start this company fermentation station? Uh, I was doing them both at the same time for a while. And once you start down this road, you realize how involved it is. There's so many little things. And every time you solve one problem, that opens up three new ones. You know, you, you order jars and um, and you know, I got to get labels. They got to fit the jars and then start looking at labels. And then you find out oh, you need nutritional information on there. Oh, how the hell do I do that? So that one, then should I put UPC codes on there? Some places don't, don't care about it, but somebody's going to. So you might as well figure that out. And that was a challenge. Um, and then it just kind of progressed. And I finally did get stuff in in jars and started selling it a little bit and it just got to a point where i wasn't going to do either job properly um and i don't like doing a bad job <laughs> so i just had had to pick one and, and go for it and uh, this was kind of an exciting direction to go to and i, I thought it'd be a more manageable life um, so that's that's where i went is there pressure, you know, like, I don't know what your family situation is, but some entrepreneurs get into it and one person kind of keeps the day job and the other person does the entrepreneurial route, but there's pressure. Like I remember, you know, when my husband and I were both doing our entrepreneur thing, just how are we going to pay the mortgage that month? Yes. Yeah. We're terrified. All the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, terrified. that's a good way to describe it. Terrified. Yep. <laughs> um, but my, my wife and I, we've been together for for a long time and we met when I owned a comedy club in, in Madison. And so she, she knew my lifestyle from, from the beginning. Uh, yeah, that was 80, 90, hundred hours a week. Uh, so she knew what type of person I was from the beginning. So the chef thing wasn't a surprise. Uh, and no, this isn't much of a surprise and she would like us to be doing better, <laughs> but yeah. And you've only just kind of started, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, le I left in July. So I've only been doing it over the, over the summer full time. Yeah. And it takes just a long time. It takes everything when you're on your own. I felt like takes months longer than you think it should. It does. <laughs> I don't care for that part. Because every time you think, well, yeah, September, that's going to be the big one. Everything's kind of in, in place and that's going to, oh, okay, September got away. 
okay october everything looks looks great all these possibilities are, are annoying if that clicks into place then here we go um so for you know, you're ever hopeful and you have to be optimistic um otherwise you wouldn't have made it through step one yeah exactly so how many SKUs do you have that you're selling right now and where are you selling uh i have six SKUs right now uh i guess i'm contemplating dropping blackberries for perhaps mushrooms um still haven't made that decision yet uh um but my, my goal is to have a small core of things that are available all the time but then i want to follow the seasons a lot more like in, in spring i want to work with i want to get more local too uh, i want to work with local farmers and foragers and you know do fiddle pickled fiddleheads and ramps and stuff in the spring and give people to look forward to things and do like smaller runs of, of really cool stuff Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's only 600 jars or a thousand jars or whatever. Then when they're gone, they're gone. Kind of a, a thing, and have people look look forward to each each season and and different items being available at those times. And where can people get your items now? Uh, uh, I should give you the website address too. I have I'm at about 12 different co-ops and uh, especially grocery stores. Uh, Linden Hills just picked us up. Um, uh, we're in. Uh, they're Lake Winds is considering us right now, and they just mm-hmm. got a bunch of samples. Um, uh, Lowry Hill Meats uh, has most of our products. Uh, Nelson's Meats uh, found the butcher shops have been interesting because they're also thinking about using them as ingredients in, in sandwiches and things like that. Right. Which would also push the retail sales if somebody gets a sandwich. Goes, wow, what is that? Well, it's right over here on the shelf. So yeah, kind of, uh, both both of those aspects. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're in a bunch and we're, we're working on some big ones too. I'm hoping to, hoping to get. So when you get into a store is kind of like this exciting moment and everybody's like, woohoo, I made it into, you know, the, the co-ops and then the marketing of it kind of begins because just because it's on the shelf doesn't mean anybody will buy it. Right. It's the, the resale getting the first sale is nice, but if they don't buy again, you're dead. You can, you know, there's only so many stores in, in the Twin Cities, and if you only sell them to them once, it's going to be over pretty quickly. Um, and every store is different on their protocols. You obviously, COVID has had an effect on marketing. Uh, some stores are doing in-store tastings where I can present uh, what it is and kind of you know guide people on each each ingredient and what they can use it for. Because that's the other thing, too. They will look it up. Oh, that's really cool. What the hell do I do with it? And it goes back on the shelf. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel yeah. like that, you know, like, okay, Bloody Mary and uh, maybe making, you know, some kind of a sandwich or just a relish tray, but then I'm sort of done. Like, I don't have other ideas past that other than drinks. Right. right. Um, then I'm working on that too. We're going to eventually have um, recipes on, on the website and then we'll do QR codes that we can put in the stores so people can zap the code and and see a lot of different recipes um is it, i've done chutneys with the the pears um the cherries uh cherries themselves are, are nice but then the juice that's left you can make an interesting drizzle with that you know cook it down a little bit uh, like a gastrique yeah gastrique, yeah uh i've done a cherry bourbon gastrique with it which is pretty sexy um uh there's yeah there's there's lots of stuff that can be done but i, I need to be able to help people make make those connections and we're we're working on on that what does your house smell like <laughs> uh luckily 
very uh, the pickling doesn't happen here. Um, <laughs> uh, I did I did have an interesting early experiment that nearly cost me my marriage. Um, I learned how to do black garlic, uh, which is very fragrant, right? Uh, which I thought was just going to last a couple of days, uh, and it takes like ten weeks to make the stuff. Uh, then I moved it to the garage, and it was still leaching through everything. Moved it down to the basement, and then my wife was having she had a lush bath bomb that she was really looking forward to and got in the tub all she could smell was garlic yeah <laughs> i was nearly homeless after, after that one <laughs> that's funny uh, uh so yeah so I, I don't that was just personal testing so and any anything for sale i have to uh, do out of the commercial kitchen so right 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 that, that takes the brunt of, of the aromas <laughs> and are you tell me about what vessels are you using to ferment because that's a big part of this too is finding the right containers yeah, yeah. I, I started in quart jars and moved to gallon gallon jars, and there are some interesting lids that you can get that help with that. Um, and right now I'm on five gallon buckets, uh, which is pretty common. They're food grade. Uh, and then there's a little bubbler system on the top that has water in it that will let gas escape, but not let raw oxygen and whatever's in the air back in. Uh, so you want you want a contained environment essentially, uh, and then. Beyond that, uh, like I said, I've talked to a lot of people that do commercial uh, fermentation, and I met a person that I was terrified that I was going to need $20,000 steel tanks and th- things like that. And I talked to somebody that's in the Milwaukee area, and they're in about 200 different stores. And he's like, oh, it's 55-gallon barrels with you know, plastic 55-gallon gallon barrels. And he found out uh, he had started drilling holes and putting a little bubbler in there. And then for one reason or another, he didn't have the ability to do that. And he just put the lid on and he said that they're perfectly imperfectly sealed, meaning that they, they seal very well, but it's just imperfect enough that gas can get out, but nothing can get in. So it's already a perfect fermentation vessel. So he doesn't even need to use the bubbler. Nope. And once I get to that level, I'll, I'll be doing the same. So same when you... When you take the lid off and you're going to check your ferment or taste it or do what you need to do, then that's where it gets tricky because if you're not done or you don't like it and you need to let it go longer, how do you reseal? Uh, you just put the lid back back on essentially. But brief periods like that, you're you're fine because whatever organisms might be floating around, it's going to be min- minimal. You don't want extended periods of time where anything can get in and and build and and grow so a, a quick peek uh you're you're okay with um and you need to skim stuff off but there's little white yeast and or what they call calm uh grows on the top that's not harmful it's ugly and unsightly <laughs> you need to scoop that up you don't want it to get out of control because that can make for soft vegetables uh too uh, but you need to do those uh maintenance maintenance things but you want to close it back up pretty quick and I've had that happen too with sauerkraut where you get the good yeast on the top. And so I didn't remove it because I was like, oh, that's okay. And then a week later, half the top half of the sauerkraut was just basically mush. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. if you see it, you should get rid of it. Uh, it's not it's not harmful, but you don't want to give it a chance to to grow. There's you know, really only one organism that you're trying to trying to grow and everything else should go. Yeah. And then people, um, I think freak out, you know, you can get mold obviously Mm -hmm. and that's okay. But then I read like, if it's green or black, it's probably okay. But if it's pink, throw it out. If I see anything other than white, I 
I throw it out. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's safe than sorry. And and for the, for the most part, what I find uh, most interesting about it is that uh, it either works or it doesn't. Um, it's not like you know if you cook chicken and you didn't cook it quite quite right, it looks perfectly good, but something went wrong and and you can get get sick uh, with fermentation. Either it works or it's garbage, and it smells okay. like garbage. It looks like garbage. It, yeah. So it's, I'm trying to salvage garbage, basically, which is what it sounds like. Oh, uh, but even even in that case, with your with the top layer, you can I think you can take the top layer off, and the stuff below uh, would would be fine. But if I see if I see different colors, I'm I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. With that. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Well, I'm really uh, excited. Like I said, I love trying your product. It's fun to talk to you, kind of at the beginning of your journey. When we think about next July, which means you'll have been doing this for a year, do you have like a yearly goal or somewhere that you'll be like, okay, I've arrived? Oh, yeah, I should probably think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard, hard to get there if you don't don't set it up. But, and there are obviously big stores like uh, Byerly's and Kowalski's that I would really like to be uh, be in. Um, so those those are definitely definitely the big goals. The big goals, yeah. Um, All right. Uh, but yeah, all the restaurants in town, I, I think that they can use them as I'd uh, like to do because uh, I, I can do bulk uh, for like restaurants and bars and things like that for doing garnishes or, or ingredients because the jars are actually the most expensive part of the part of the process. So if I can drop off a five gallon bucket, it's a big right. saving as opposed to, you know, 50 jars that they all have to have to open and dump out to you to use if I can. You know, so that would be helpful, too. Have you ever spent any time or do you know Tammy Wong from Rainbow Chinese? I do not. I would like to. I would like you to make a note to eat at her place, but I'd also like you to meet her because she is a master fermenter and pickler and her basement there is full of tubs of what I would call like ugly vegetables that she salvages from the farmer's markets and makes into pickled bits and things and fermented items i just think you'd get a real kick out of her she's a really funny lady and just she's always bringing me weird pickles and i love everything (laughs) she yeah i love love weird pickles as you could tell from the stuff that i (laughs) i sent you i like like the weird stuff uh so yeah that would be fantastic i love yeah so try and uh and you can tell her stephanie's dish stephanie hansen said to to look her up and to find out more about her weird pickles she'll laugh all right. <laughs> I'll do that. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Makers of Minnesota. And we'll put a link to your website in the notes so that people can find your ferments and your pickles. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks, for Jim. Okay. Bye-bye.